Heimat Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today with the great pleasure of speaking with one of those frontline GP practitioners who is working far too hard as a result of this terrible pandemic that's ongoing. The voice you'll hear soon is Linda Bonney, who's working as a general practitioner in Olechmar in the Netherlands. The work that we'll be discussing is part of her PhD studies that was completed on top of everything else that's going on in her clinical life. So it was a very impressive effort to be able to pull this all together. And you'll find the details that we won't be able to discuss in the February 2022 issue of medical education under the title, Longitudinal Training Models for Entrusting Students with Independent Patient Care. Linda, after that long-winded introduction, very glad that you could join us, and particularly given you know that you're managing young children and managing a very busy clinical practice and everything else. How are you managing to hold everything together? Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's it's a busy world at this point. I recently received my PhD degree, which is uh, three and a half weeks ago, and currently I'm focusing on working in the GP practice. And I hope to pick up some more research work when my youngest daughter is turning four and enjoys elementary school. That will be in a year. <laughs> Free up some time any way you can, right? Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Three and a half weeks is not a long time, and I'm sure the high of it coming to an end is still with you. This particular piece that we'll talk about, I was intrigued by in part because it's in the February issue with another article on longitudinal training models, uh, specifically being brought into into pharmacy. But this was a systematic review of longitudinal models more generally. And so where I want to start, if you don't mind, is just getting your thoughts on what falls into that category for you. I'm sure you saw a lot of heterogeneity in terms of what people described as longitudinal training models. And just wonder if you could share with our listeners how you tried to combine them or make sense of the scope. Well, that was very difficult. And that's one of the limitations of our study. But there is a wide range in what is called a longitudinal rotation. Actually, we looked at at least three to six months, more favorably six months and three months working together with the same group of teachers, so the same healthcare team and the same trainer, but ideally also working with the same group of patients. So getting to know a group of patients and getting the opportunity to follow them through different situations during the stay of the training in the practice. And was this an interest for you because of your own experiences in longitudinal training as a trainee or a preceptor? Not that much. Actually, we did some research in GP training and actually GP training in the Netherlands is blessed with having longitudinal rotations in the GP practice. And we found out that trainers and trainees were able to develop a much stronger cooperation relationship, a much stronger mutual trust relationship when in longitudinal relations when compared to short rotations. Actually, trainees also have the experiences of short rotations in Dutch GP training programs. So they were also able to compare those two types of rotations. And they told us that they were having a better relationship with their trainer, which took them deeper in both learning and assessment. And then there also was a paper about EPAS and longitudinal training by Hirsch and Hombo. 
And that even further triggered us. And then we were presented with the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. And then we were forced to stop two of our research trajectories that we had rolling at that moment. And then we thought, well, okay, what are we going to do now? Because we had some nice information. And then we came up with this idea to further elaborate, okay, on how does this longitudinal rotation work? How does this help to let trainees work independently? Because that's a very big issue at this moment in medical education. Mm -hmm. well, and you state the aim then is what characteristics of longitudinal training models contribute to their capacity to facilitate independent practice. Given that reading that you had done and any of your own observations, what did you go in looking for in particular? Or was this you know, truly just an open-ended exploration? This was true an open-ended exploration because we saw that there was no real comprehensive work on everything available on longitudinal integrated clerkships or other forms. As we saw, there are a lot of types. It is uh, very broad. So it was very difficult to make a comprehensive piece around it. And we thought that it would be nice to create an overview on, okay, how can longitudinal integrated clerkships and other forms of longitudinal rotations help to improve independent practice for trainees and what factors are involved. We found some evidence on, okay, they do score better on testing, but we didn't think that was that important in learning to become a doctor because you're not going to be taking more tests when you're a doctor. You're going to have to do the work in practice. And so given what you said about the various topologies or variety in this realm as a way of setting the context for understanding your results, what inclusion or exclusion criteria did you settle upon to define the space for your systematic review? Well, we were looking for studies that studied aspects of longitudinal rotations in relation to trainees working independently. And we were looking for both perspectives from trainers and trainees. How did they feel when preparing trainees to become independent? What we didn't want to know is how their test results were. We really wanted to know how they felt about working in practice and if they felt better equipped when in longitudinal rotations. We also wanted to have it evaluated in medicine and not in nursing or in midwifery or something because there were also studies in those. And we wanted to have them at least six months of rotations because Three months was arbitrary with us in GP practice, the short rotations. It's a little arbitrary because there is no past definition on longitudinal rotations. And that made it a little difficult. We did exclude studies that did not evaluate any aspects of independent practice. And so having narrowed the scope to that set, what were the factors that seemed important for stimulating those opportunities? Well, the three most important factors were the relationship between the trainee and the patients, allowing them to uh, develop a professional relationship between the two. The relationship between the trainee and the trainer. The longitudinal rotations made it possible to develop a strong mutual trust relationship, a strong professional relationship and also provided opportunity for long supervision. So the trainer really got to know the trainee. On the other hand, due to the mutual trust relationship, the trainer trusted the trainee, was able to provide students with patient care, 
On the other hand, trainers also felt safe within that long relationship and were able to provide uh, trainees with sincere feedback on their functioning. And they had a better overview of functioning of the training. And on the other hand, the trainees also felt well in their place. So they were able to provide patient care, but also felt that they were accurately supervised and felt that they were allowed to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes within a range of trying to keep safe patient care. And the other aspect was the longitudinal collaboration between the student and the healthcare team. And because they worked together for a longer period of time, the student became integrated within the healthcare team and in that way was able to participate in healthcare even more. And you isolate that latter factor as the most important one. Was there anything in particular about those longitudinal relationships? Or was it in most instances just seemed to be that the more time they got to spend together, the better they were able to understand and trust and support one another? Yeah, that's one of the major factors. They get to know each other. They get to work together for a longer period of time. They get to know each other, not only in a professional way, but especially in the rural longitudinal clerkships, they also got to know each other on a personal way. They knew where they lived. They knew their families. And we earlier on found in one of the studies within my PhD trajectory that the personal interests that a trainer shows in a trainee also enhances trainee trust developments because they feel supported, they feel safe, they feel that part of the whole deal. And that allowed them to be open about what they do in practice. That allowed them that when making mistakes, they dared to contact their trainer and say, okay, I made a mistake. What do I have to do? tell them about their experiences and that way the trainer felt that the trainee was able to come to him or her and also discuss negative experiences that also raises a trainer's trust in the trainee. And did you see any downsides? It always struck me that if it was not a functional relationship that long-term might actually be more harmful than good. How did people manage that in the literature that you uncovered? Well, we only found two studies that discussed this downside. When the relationship isn't that good or the skills of a teacher aren't that good, then that might harm the trainee during this course. But there were two options that might help in this situation. The first option is that not only the trainer plays an important role in trainee learning, but the healthcare team also plays an important role in trainee learning. And usually those trainees sought feedback within the healthcare team and not only from their trainer. So they used the healthcare team as their primary teacher instead of their trainer. And the other situation is that there usually were also meetings with a mentor from their training institute. Not that very often, but trainees also like that they had the opportunity to talk to someone who was not related to the practice and discuss their concerns during their training program. And there's a lot of Good advice then wrapped up in the paper in terms of how to actually not just develop these longitudinal activities, but develop them in a way that increases the likelihood of them being successful. Recognizing that we can't go into all the details, what would your first claim be to anybody who was trying to figure out how could they establish a longitudinal program in a way that is most likely to be effective? Well, 
most important is also take a look at your own training program because it has to fit your own training program. And if model A doesn't fit your training program, then maybe make adjustments to it, but it will only work whenever it works for your training program. But what seems to be the most important factor is the longitudinal relationship between the trainer and the trainee. Excellent. And I won't ask you now about what's coming next in your research, because you said it's going to be another year or so before you get a chance to come back to this. But we'll certainly look forward to seeing what comes next and hope that you find that time as your daughter moves into school age. Yeah, I hope so too. We hope to do some more research in EPAS and then actually on students who are not functioning in the way that they are expected to function. We hope that the EPAS can help to recognize those students earlier and get them back on track for them to complete the training program. For those who aren't in Europe, can you just spell out EPAS? Entrustable Professional Activities. Excellent. So we'll look forward to that as well. And in the meantime, we'll remind anybody who's listening who wants to see the details or get more information. The paper that Linda Bonney and I have been discussing is called Longitudinal Training Models for Trusting Students with Independent Patient Care. You'll find it in the February 2022 issue of Medical Education. And we will be back next month. Thanks, Linda, and good luck with everything that is going on in your life at the moment. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.